You're listening to How to Stan, the podcast all about both specific fandoms and fandom culture as a whole. For more information about the show and the other show that I do, 17 Karat K-Pop, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. You can also go to 17karatkpop.weebly.com backslash how to stand for more specific information about this podcast. Enjoy the show. It may not be typical, but it's not unprecedented for some musicians to keep their identities private, to totally distance themselves from a musical persona. So you don't really know, is this just part of the act or are we ever meeting the real them? Who are they when they are not on stage or behind the microphone? But you at least hear about the musicians and become fans of them because they have the media push they need and their music is widely available still. So how on earth do you have one but not the other? How can an artist keep their identity shrouded in mystery but also have very, very limited access to their music, so you can't find out about it in the first place. It's a double whammy of no promo. How did this work? A perfect case study is what happened to the musician Jandek. Throughout his music career, he gave a total of less than five interviews. He often refused interviews. He did not have music, this was before streaming, so he didn't have it in stores often. He released music with very blurry album covers and ones that were just presumably of some random guy. People were not sure if it was even him. The albums came with no liner notes or identifying information about the songs, except for titles. To even get the albums, you would have to write to the Corwood Industries P.O. box, where you could get copies on copies of this for cheap. He never played live, did not make public appearances, People had no idea who this man was. And to be a fan of him, you really had to be in the know. Because when he first decided to play a live event, it was not publicized at all. You had to be on his mailing list to even know if it was him. And that's what today's episode is about, is diving into how he really is quite the example of the kind of questions this podcast is made to raise about what it means to be a fan of someone in their work and separating the art from the artist, what appeals to us and why, especially given his incredibly unconventional style of music. So a few quick things about Jandek before we get started. He first was introduced to the world with the album Ready for the House in 1978. He actually used the stage name The Units instead of Jandek. He started using Jandek for his second album after he found out the units was already taken. Unclear why he didn't look into that earlier, but whatever. By the 1980s, although his CDs were hard to find, if you found them, you could buy them for $50 for 25. He didn't have 25 albums out by then, but you could buy doubles. 25 CDs for the price of 50 bucks. It's unclear what he did for a living, assuming that did not sustain him, but maybe it did. He has released one album every single year since 1981, and then it was two a year since 2000. He released four albums in 2004, four more in 2005, five more in 2008. I could go on and on. Dozens on dozens of albums pretty much on his own. He has had periods of time with a drummer, guitarist, whatever, someone in the background doing vocals or instruments for him. But for the most part, he's on his own. 
He's even done records where he's just totally acapella. His very quirky musical identity, to put it nicely, includes albums called things like Blue Corks, Chair Beside a Window, Somebody in the Snow, No Hunting for Meaning, Worthless Recluse, Lost Cause, Telegraph Melts. And his song titles include things like Janitor's Dead, I Woke Up, and Painted My Teeth. Very, very depressed music, very, very specific in some weird ways music, very hard to describe. This music actually did get promoted occasionally to certain radio stations, so it was not entirely this unknown entity out there. People knew about it, but it was very hard to get the word out because this guy never did any press for it. I'm going to give my honest opinion about his work and then get to the, what the critics said. I tried. His work is frankly unlistenable, and I can see why people thought he was honestly just the worst musician. His songs, I'm sorry, I can't take it. They don't follow any melody. It's not like they stray from the expected melodic patterns. It's more just like rambling to me. Like improv performances with out-of-tune instruments, flat vocals are generally just not impressive, not talented vocals, concerning and sometimes downright alarming lyrics. It's just very, very eerie and not in a good way. Critics largely assist it as such. Reviews include from WFNU.org, quote, Jandik alone with a guitar and a microphone sounds like a muttering sleepwalker, aimlessly plucking amplified bicycle spokes. His music is dark and gloomy, but it won't make you sad. It will make you tense and uncomfortable. The book Unknown Legends of Rock and Roll describes it as, quote, Sometimes the guitar is acoustic, like a deathbed Neil Young. Sometimes he sounds like the 13-year-old who just got his first electric for his bar mitzvah. City Pages said, quote, Jandek's music was like the sound of my life. Absolute nothingness. A core numbness. Entropy carved out by apathy. Put simply, the record was the most terrifying thing I had ever heard. And the reviews go on and on. In October of 1980, a journalist wrote a letter to the P.O. Box questioning what all this was about and hoping for an interview. The letter said, quote, To whom? A friend passed along a copy of Ready for the House. I've listened to it three times, and I've concluded it is one of the most frightening albums I've ever heard. It is horribly grotesque. I've run out of adjectives to describe the shock of this record. Can you give me any information? Who's on it? It could be the worst record ever released. But somebody went to a lot of trouble putting it together, and I want to know why. I am mystified. It could also be the greatest record ever released. I can't figure it out, but every time I place it on the turntable, it's like stepping into the twilight zone. Can you help? Unquote. Two weeks later... She got a phone call, presumably from Jandek himself, because she had left her number on that letter. He didn't answer her questions, he was very evasive, and seemed to just sort of ramble from subject to subject, and did not divulge much about his life. But he asked, can I send you copies of the album? I need to put them somewhere. And that was his common refrain, apparently. Whenever he would take a phone call from someone who sent him a letter and left their number, he would ask if he can send them a box of albums because he needed room for them is what he kept saying genuinely like he just needed to clear house so she agreed 
he sent her 25 album copies. They kept in touch via letters and phone calls for a while, and he continued to ask if he could send her another box of albums. This was apparently what he did with pretty much anyone who called him asking about his work. Long story short, the clues and details have aligned to lead fans and journalists to strongly believe that Jandek is Sterling Richard Smith. One of the reasons being that when fans would send checks to Jandek, presumably to fund his music, I guess, the checks would be sent right back to them with the signature by a Sterling Smith. There was also a Sterling Smith that you could find living close to Houston, Texas. Not in Houston, Texas. That was apparently, at the time, a different Sterling Smith who was very upset that people read the phone book and assumed he was Jandek. Other people think that Jandek is actually a different person, and the Corwood Industries rep on the phone is a different person, Sterling Richard Smith. Others say it's the same person, just using both names. But whatever the case is, in OP Magazine in 1978, Jandek and Smith were both names used. Like I said before, he has been super, super evasive about his life. But what we know so far is that he was, based on some bits and pieces journalists have gathered from his rambling conversations, Sterling Richard Smith was born in 1945. He not only sings and writes songs, but he plays tons of instruments, keys, guitars, drums, the harmonica. He lives somewhere near Houston, Texas, and he tried to be a novelist, writing seven different books and burning them all after publishers rejected them. Around 1983, a few vocalists started joining him on songs called things like John Plays Drums and Nancy Sings. Then four radio stations actually teamed up in 1986 for what they called a Jandek Across America night, lasting from 1.15 to 2 a.m., with commercial-free airing of Jandek music across New York City. The following year, his album Blue Corpse came out, and Nancy suddenly was no longer a backup singer. That one is noted as an exceptionally dark and somber album of his. In the early 90s, CDs started being sold officially of his work. So words somehow got around about him, never tons, but in strange bits and pieces that kept fans' interest in writing to him and getting albums sent to them. Someone may pick up one of the rare interviews he did and then spread the word from there. This year, output meant you were bound to see his music at one point or another in a store. Those early morning radio hours, very odd moments, not drawing out a huge crowd, but enough to keep people talking a bit. In 1992, he released the album Lost Cause, which marked the end of an era he was back to no collaborations, no vocalists, no instrumentalists, all Jandek. Another interview request was sent to Jandek in 1998, and instead of agreeing, he just sent her a package with CDs and a handwritten note saying, quote, you'll not be forgotten ever. The story must be crafted from what you have and know from the music. We cannot provide interviews or other exchanges of information outside of the releases at present. It's probable that your crafted story would be more interesting than any other. Intrigue goes a long way sometimes. Please stay in touch. Your friends at Corwood, unquote. In 1999, Katie Vine, a journalist for Texas Monthly, tried to connect with Jandek, and actually, he agreed. 
but only if she didn't take notes during the interview or record it. And the interview raised a lot more questions than answers because, again, he was super evasive about his personal life. She asked, what is this whole musical persona where no one can find your music unless they write to your P.O. box? What is with this really dark and odd sound to your music? The experimentalness of it all? What is your shtick? What's there to get? And that's basically what Jan Deck said in response is, there's nothing to get. This is just who I am, he insisted. He actually was so careful to not leave a trace of his meeting with this reporter that he wouldn't even draw a map to his house as she had hoped to help her find the place. So no paper trail whatsoever. Again, word was somehow getting out because also in 1999, his older albums had to be restocked. He started reprinting some of his older works and they all were finally restocked by 2003. In the year 2000, this record label in Indiana called Secretly Canadian released an interesting compilation album called The Unaccompanied Voice, which was an acapella compilation that featured one of Jandek's songs. Corwood gave permission for them to do that, but they said no recording, no new recording. So don't ask Jandek to record something new for your piece. It was a very odd pick and choose of what Smith or Jandek or whoever it was repping Corwood, would say yes or no to. There was also a Jandick cover album released by a different indie record label, Summer Steps, that same year. Corwood did not contribute to that except for sending an album cover they could use, a picture of a graveyard. In June 2002, production began on a documentary, Jandick on Corwood. In November of that year, the Houston City Council approved a fan request to make a holiday out of an official Jandek Day. In May 2003, the documentary Jandek on Corwood finished and premiered at Leeds International Film Festival in October. So somehow, despite the very off-putting and downright disturbing nature of his music, the lack of talent, frankly, the critic panning, the weird selective promotions, the evasiveness about his past that couldn't get fans to relate to him in any way, really. Despite all of that, there was still enough passion in the small fan base he had to get a holiday after him, to get a documentary made about him, etc. He finally decided to start performing live with his debut live performance at a festival in Glasgow in October 2004. This event was not publicized, and not only did you only know about it really if you were on his mailing list, but even then when you showed up, some fans were questioning if it was really him on stage, comparing him to the man on his album covers and thinking maybe it was him. And then the festival organizer actually had to issue a statement to clarify, yes, we got the real Jandek to show up. He didn't really interact with the crowd. One reporter noted he smiled at someone in a 2005 show at South by Southwest. That's pretty much the extent of his interactions. His sets have ranged anywhere from one to three hours, and he's had zero merch sales at his shows. The band he plays with also is very unusual in the sense that they do not practice. He, I guess to further seemingly avoid detection, he does not leave a trail of clues about who he works with because he is rumored to just totally pick new band members 
for every show. And the band members do not even know anything about the show before the show. So just like the weird improv nature of his music, his shows are like that too. The band members are told to just wing it and basically do what they want with his songs. Add whatever riffs they want, etc. Jandek's debut performance was in Glasgow, but then his debut in the USA was a year later at South by Southwest. Fast forward to the year 2014, and he starred in a one-act play called Kukin, filmed at an undisclosed location in Houston. So what in the world was this journey for him? Sending fans excessive amounts of his music, not leaving a trace of him wherever he went. It was almost like he was in the witness protection program or something. Really, really trying hard to stay a mystery. And sometimes when an artist tries to largely stay out of the spotlight, they at least make great music. <laughs> so you feel that maybe less of a passionate fan of theirs because you don't know them personally and they stay aloof in a way, but at least they've got music that becomes the soundtrack of your life. This guy's music is the soundtrack of your nightmares. So what's the appeal? How do you have the mystique but not the talent and pull it off? Well, some past reviews of his work leave a lot of food for thought about that. In OP, Phil Milston writes, quote, Any one of us could have made this record. That's half the point right there. Bring the means of production to the people, and they will outcreate the money folks almost every time, unquote. Similarly, Eddie Flowers wrote in that history of rock music, quote, It's not that the music is any less dark, or the technique any more refined than it was 22 years ago. It's just that the world has moved closer to Jandek's reality. The anxious beauty of isolation and doubt, unquote. Maybe that's what it all hinges on. Doubt and isolation. Isn't that perfect for living through a pandemic to think about? What if his music was just ahead of its time? What if people felt like they were involved in it? They became part of the story. Like I said, those band members who played with him were given full range and freedom to add whatever layers and melodic structure they wanted to his non-melodic structure containing music. He gave people the bare bones template of a song, of a full song, and he lets you fill in the blanks. Not only that, but he continues to give you those templates exclusively. You have to write to him to get them. And in this way, he has actually been having and forming relationships with his diehard fans more than he has with the press. He has probably interacted more with fans over time through phone calls, through letters, than with the press, all without a single meet and greet or merch sale. There's also a line in the Jane Dick documentary that really summarizes, I think, his appeal. Quote, We live in a culture that has impressed on us the idea that everybody not only can be famous, but should or must be famous. And if you're not famous, you failed. And if you're making art and the world doesn't cheer you, then it's a failure. And that's just a lie. And it's a lie that Jane Dick realizes is a lie. And he's gotten around it his own way. Unquote. By all means, considering the self-imposed restrictions on his recognition and fame that he put on himself, and the gigs he still got nevertheless, and the fans he still got nevertheless, was Jandik successful? I would argue yes, he was a very successful artist. So then you realize 
how much have we intrinsically linked together immense overwhelming praise and admiration with success? Because what if those things are more separate than we have been treating them? You can be successful and have very few fans. You could have tons of fans and actually maybe not be so successful. Maybe we need to reframe how we view those concepts as connected or not. And it is in the eye of the beholder to decide who they view as successful and admirable, which may be different people. The concept of the eye of the beholder is something that shows how Jandix work to some was ahead of its time. Because now with social media, back and forth, you can feel like your artist, your favorite artist is having a special one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. And he kind of capitalized on that instinct for connection before it was a thing on social media. And so ironically, he gave the least access ever throughout his music career, which also led him to give the most access ever during his music career, because he let fans in on his life in really unexpected ways. So overall, I think it's the prompting of fans to DIY their listening experiences to his work that made it stand out. And people liked it because they could kind of make it their own. Was his intention to make music that was half-baked and frankly awful? I don't know, but it sure was successful in that way. Will Johnson, one of the band members for Jandic South by Southwest set, put it this way, quote, In talking to other folks that have followed along, after seeing the documentary and checking various websites, I've found that I know about as much now as I learned on that first day. And that's part of the beauty of Jandic. The definition is all the listener's own, unquote. So when you're in his company, you feel like maybe you don't know him, but at least you know him just as much as everybody else does. And maybe that's the appeal. It's that the press didn't know him better than the fans. No one felt like they knew him better than another person. It also maybe gave music critics a freeing sense that you can't rate music based on certain criteria if it's non-existent. There feels like there's no melody or no backing track or wh whatever the case was. Then you can't grade it on the same standard criteria you do for most albums. So he basically challenged critics to take a deeper look at what he's all about. And when they tried, they struggled. And that struggle may be further emboldened the fans who felt like they knew him better than the media. It's an interesting give and take, interesting dynamics that he really raised questions about through his no press please life philosophy. So who is he today and where is he today? He's presumably still somewhere near Houston where he has seemed to live his whole life. But after some big interviews like the Texas Monthly thing, he's pleaded with reporters to never reach out again for a follow-up. So, would he respond to an interview request now? I frankly would be very intrigued to talk to him, but I'm also frankly a little nervous too because I've heard he can be very excessive in the amount of albums he keeps mailing to your door. Give him an inch, he'll take a mile when it comes to asking for an album. But from a man who burned his novels to performing at South by Southwest, I would say his confidence has risen while he continues to hide his past. There's a lot to think about with that. More stories of artists who hid who they were offstage or just seemed very mysterious and curious and a mystery to fans 
other artists who have done this kind of act are characters we are going to talk about more on future episodes of How to Stand, so stay tuned for those. But that summarizes Jandek's story. Go ahead and check out his music if you dare. Good luck to you. Thank you for listening. Talk to y'all again soon.